0: Red. Good morning. Uh, after uh, <clears throat> Peter's eloquence, uh, I'm gonna take you into somewhat murkier waters uh, of intellectual history. Uh, the title of the longer paper from which this is drawn uh, is The Many Misunderstandings of Richard Hofstadter. I'm sure all of you know who Richard Hofstadter is and he was the most important historian of his generation. Uh, his books are still read today. The American Political Tradition, uh, written in 1948, is still one of the most popular, oh, can you hear me? It's still, still widely used on campuses, and with good reason. <clears throat> Hofstadter could write. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that, but if I, if I were to go back and look at Hofstadter's many books and then I'll make the connection to the Kennedy assassination, none of them holds up, some worse than others. His first book, Social Darwinism in America, much quoted by Robert Reich, it was obviously not widely read. He would know that Social Darwinism in America was a pamphlet written of the moment in the New Deal. It created a mythology. And had very little to do with the history of social. The, the, the thesis of Hofstadter's social Darwinism was that social Darwinism was a product of the right wing, but it wasn't. Most big businessmen, Christian writers, had never heard of social Darwinism. Darwinism, as other and better historians like Eric Goldman, some of you may know, Eric Goldman, pointed out, was Darwinism was a left wing phenomenon because Darwin seemed to break with the idea of timeless law, natural law, break with the idea of the Constitution. I'm not gonna go into that today, I, I go into it in New York, but that's the, that was his first book, then American political tradition. I'll, I'll come back to that. Beginning about 1955, he becomes obsessed with McCarthyism. And he writes a series of essays on it, which, which appear in a collection called The New Right, edited by Dan Bell. Goes back to it again with a book called Anti-Intellectuals in America. And goes back to it again with what we all know, the famous paranoid style in America. In between, he wins the Pulitzer Prize for the second time uh, for his book on the New Deal. The book on the New Deal is positively bizarre. Communism is mentioned in two pages, on two pages. And that's it. Uh, An entity picks up on the question of alienation. Let me go back for, back for a second. In the American political tradition there's a section on William Jennings Bryan. He says the problems with, problems with William Jennings Bryan is he was insufficiently alienated as if and I, I wish I could remember what Roger said to me last night. Roger had a great line when I said that to him last night, as if alienation was an I- index of intelligence. <laughs> uh, it's, it was a stunning thing to write, and you, this leads me what I, to what could have been the title of this talk, Richard Hofstadter, the second Mencken. Some of his students, like Christopher Lash, uh, Kenneth Lynn, who wasn't a student, but was extremely perceptive, saw Hofstadter quite correctly as the second Mencken. What, 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 what do I mean by that? Just as Mencken talked about the buboisy, America as a nation of, of, of peasants and fools, so did Hofstadter, but in, in more austere language. Let me stop there, a little bit on Hofstadter. Let me now go to the Kennedy assassination, and I'll try to show how Hofstadter's writings on McCarthy are part of the reason the country and liberals have never been able to assimilate Oswald's identity. The great mystery of the Kennedy assassination is not a whodunit. It's why American liberals have been so unable to assimilate Oswald's left-wing identity into their account of the assassination. And then I refer to that, the same book Roger, Roger caught, in that, the article that Roger caught in the New York Times, it's just astounding. But it boils down to this, these lines by George Packer, the New Yorker, quote, Oswald, writes Packer, was an avowed Marxist, which might seem to absolve the city of Dallas's right wing of any responsibilities in the Kennedy assassination. Might, and then it goes on, but, and then he he simply goes on to argue that the the climate in Dallas pulled the trigger. How a climate pulls the trigger is not so clear. If if you would say to George Packer, but he spent more time in Moscow than he did in Dallas, It wouldn't register. Packer's progenitor, progenitor in dismissing the specifics of Oswald's life was Hofstadter. And particularly Hofstadter's famous 1964 essay, The Paranoid Style in American Politics. Probably the single most influential essay of the last half century. Now part of Hofstadter's appeal was stylistic. Mencken, those of you who read Mencken, you know he's a great wit. Often had no idea what he was talking about, but he was a great wit. Uh, Hofstadter picked up on Mencken's style. Where Mencken despised Roosevelt, he loved the Kaiser. Uh, Roosevelt melded a Mencken-esque sensibility and pro-New Deal policies, or or a history of... uh, prone of, of New Deal policies told in, in a, from a positive framework. Hofstadter wrote his student, Christopher Lash, who would himself go on to be a distinguished historian. Hofstadter could not conceal his disdain for the hopelessly muddled thinking of ordinary Americans. I've come to think of Hofstadter as the latter-day version of H.L. Mencken, endlessly belaboring the bourgeoisie. And if you read Hofstadter's writings from the mid 50s on, they're all about McCarthyism and they're all about how foolish Americans are. Unlike many of his fellow New York intellectuals, such as Lionel Trilling, Irving Howe and Sidney Hook, with whom he was loosely associated, Hofstadter had little interest in the sources of Stalinism. Little interest, it's really rather amazing when you go back and see how little he dealt with that. McCarthy was his North Star. Which he went back time and time and time again. He was obsessed with McCarthyism. Starting in 55, he wrote and rewrote the essay on McCarthy, which in its most famous form became the paranoid style in American politics, published, given just before the assassination as a speech, published the year after the assassination as we run up, as part of the run-up to the 64 election, was published in Harper's magazine. Now, if Mencken was his stylistic uh, influence, his intellectual influence was the Frankfurt School. I'm just curious, how many people know? What, when I say the Frankfurt School, I'm just, I'm curious, how many people know who who they are? Okay, a few people. Let me let me describe them uh, just briefly. Then they're a group of German exiles, German intellectual exiles. Uh, you know the name Herbert Marcuse, perhaps? Eric Fromm. Uh, 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 oh my God. Theodore Theodor Adorno, Max Horkheimer, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Franz Neumann. Uh, when you read them today, you find it hard to, to understand why they were so influential. I once asked Norman Pott Horaces, say Norman, they got everything wrong. They didn't see in Germany they didn't see Hitler coming. As they were leaving Germany, they didn't see what Stalin represented, and when they got to America, they decided they had, land, they had arrived in a, in a land of incipient fascism. Why were they listened to? And Norman's answer, I think, was, was the right one. It was also stylistic. They spoke with, with a, in, in, in such a manner that if you didn't agree with them, you, you were obviously intellectually limited. They spoke with enormous enormous authority of a German professor and expected to be followed and expected, ex- expected not to be challenged. You could throw Hannah Arendt into this, and if any, if any of you get a chance, should read the article on Hannah Arendt in a commentary a few months ago by Saul Stern. It is a brilliant, brilliant demolition of one of the most overblown rep- reputations of the 20th century. In any case. The Frankfurt School people developed most of the concepts that, that Hofstadter employed in writing about McCarthy, particularly the notion of pseudo-conservatism. He argues that, that what McCarthyism was about, what anti-communism was about, was not the events of World War II, not the events of the post-war era, but the psychological problems of Americans. He reduced McCarthyism, in other words, it was no, there was no need in Hofstadter's world study what had happened in this era. So for instance, if you were an historian, you think you'd want to know how it was that Roosevelt's policies produced such a tangle after World War II. And and I'll give you a very, uh, without putting you to sleep, I hope, I'll give you a very simple summation of this. Roosevelt had a series of dilemmas. If he was gonna defeat Hitler, he had to ally himself with Stalin. If he was gonna ally himself with Stalin, he couldn't tell the truth to uh, Americans of Eastern European descent. He had to tell them that Eastern Europe was going to be free after the war. This is, a, this is a very superficial telling of this. But he created a series of knots that had to be untied by Truman, who didn't have the faintest idea, and no one, no one else did either, how to untie this problem. Roosevelt had hoped, and here he was like uh, the Frankfurt School, uh, who, who assumed that the Americans and the Soviets would converge that the Soviets would become more democratic, we would become more socialist, and we'd all meld together. This, this may sound odd, but John Kenneth Galbraith was still writing this stuff in the 1990s. Uh, in 1940, by 1948, the Soviets and their Chinese allies had conquered one-sixth of the globe. The world hadn't seen anything like this kind of conquest since Islam in the eighth century. It was fantastic the speed with which this happened. And at the same time, we have the revelations about the American government having been deeply penetrated by Soviet uh, sympathizers and Soviet, in some cases Soviet agents. I won't go through the whole history of this for you. Suffice it to say that when Whitaker Chambers said that Bill de Blasio's mother was a communist, He was right, he he rarely got it wrong. Unfortunately, McCarthy often got it wrong, generally got it wrong, and was a disaster. An enormous, enormous disaster. Hofstadter didn't have to write about why American liberals have been so attracted to Stalinism. Why American intellectuals were so enticed, seduced by Stalinism. because the only problem, the only problem, was in Manhattan, was McCarthy. And on McCarthy, he wrote again and again and again. Now, his other concept was status, problems of status, that first the progressives and then the supporters of McCarthy were driven by status anxiety. The odd thing about this is there's no evidence for it. Furthermore, if you know something about Hofstadter, he himself was driven by status anxiety. He had this terrible sense that he wasn't wasn't properly uh, deferred to and that in Europe, professors were deferred to as the Germans were deferred to in America. This was his model. Uh, Marty Lipset, who was was a much more grounded guy and a very nice guy, Marty Lipset said to him, but don't you understand? In America, we don't defer. We're, we're a democratic society. A brief sideline side here. That's, that's, the, that's part of the argument I take up in the book I've written for Roger, The Revolt Against the Masses. The, the, the sense in which American liberals wanted to be like Europeans. They wanted a hierarchical society in which they were deferred to. And Hofstadter, I didn't put Hofstadter into the book because I wanted the book to be short. So I left out Hofstadter, I left out Galbraith, and I left out feminism. Nonetheless, there's a lot there. In any case, post-war comes. There are these terrible geopolitical problems in Eastern Europe. The Frankfurt School is telling, tells Hofstadter, the real problem, the real problem is the psychological composition of the American family. And that comes in their famous book, The Authoritarian Personality. And Hofstetter takes from the authoritarian personality most of the arguments that then go into his writings about McCarthy and then Goldwater, because they're really the same argument, extended. The fad for Freudianism in America has long since passed. If you, if you pick up a great book, uh, Philip Reeves, Freud, The Mind of a Moralist, the end of the, end of the, the new introduction, the second introduction, is all about how Amer- Freud has conquered America. Every domain. In le- the Frankfurt School was somewhat different. They melded Freud and Marx. And like the New York intellectuals, they did this for the same reason. By the New York intellectuals, I mean Irving Howe, uh, uh, Dwight Macdonald, Alfred Kaysen, that, that group of people, Mary McCarthy. The proletariat had failed them. The proletariat had failed them, a new explanation was required. That new explanation was a kind of cultural Marxism. What? Hofstad had poured into his books, because he, he was not an apologist for Stalin or the Soviet Union. He really wasn't much interested in Stalin or the Soviet Union. What he, what he poured into his books is this kind of cultural Marxism, but he poured in with enormous cleverness. So some of the chapter titles of the American political tradition are still, are still quoted there, so they grab you. On Thomas Jefferson, it's the Democrat as Aristocrat. Or on John C. Calhoun, it's the Marx of the Master Class. And if you want to understand Jesse Jackson, go read Hofstadter's essay on, on Calhoun. It might be the best thing he ever wrote the idea of concurrent majorities. In any case, this idea of social types explaining McCarthyism is pulled into play in the wake of the Kennedy assassination. The paranoid style appears, and I, I can remember. Uh, being in class, Clown- I was an undergraduate in those days, and people were simply obsessed with, with the Kennedy assassination. I would stay up all night listening to the Long John Neville. Anyone remember him? On the- yeah, a few people remember him. He was a crank of the first order, but a lot of fun. And he had on a guy from New Orleans, a, a district attorney named Jim Garrison. And then I would go into class. Uh, one of my professors was Eugene Genovese, some of you may, may, may know Genovese. And would listen listen to the theories about the Kennedy assassination, and I go into a class of a guy named John Kammett, This was at Rutgers, and Kammett was the guy who brought Gramsci to America, and he provided a Gramscian explanation for the Kennedy assassination, which had to do with, with uh, big business ha- actually how big business actually assassinated. This was supposed to be a class in 19th century Italian history. <laughs> <laughs> we, we never got there. Can, a whole semester was the Kennedy assassination. He did that so he could get on get on to the tennis courts early. In any case, <laughs> this framework takes hold. And so when Kennedy is assassinated, <coughs> there's no need to examine who Oswald was. It's not important, it's not what it's about. What it's about is applying this framework. Now I don't mean this is the only reason that liberals haven't been un- able to understand who Oswald was. But it's a terribly important one, and I say that uh, there's no way I can quantify this simply because of conversations I've had over the years. When I'm given, when we talk about the Kennedy assassination, I'm given the paranoid style as the explanation. When I say, but the paranoid style doesn't work. Paranoid style is, is first of all, is, is transpartisan. Also, there are all sorts of paranoid players on the left and on the right. Does anyone remember how George Bush was going to cancel the 2004 elections? I mean, it, and, uh, but, but more importantly, the idea that you didn't have to take the arguments of people seriously, that you could categorize them and, and push aside what they're saying. This is exactly what's happened, for instance, with the Tea Party. You don't like the Tea Party social policy? Fine. But what the Tea Party says about the fiscal is serious has to be taken seriously, but, but, but it doesn't. If the Tea Party people are merely cranks, as I found out once again last night on CNN. So l- let me stop there. I'd, I'd be happy to talk about this more. I don't want to get into the, the, the murky depths. Um, but suffice it to say, without the paranoid style readily at hand, right? yet giving, providing people an off-the-shelf explanation f- for the Kennedy assassination, we might have sooner or later come to grips with Oswald even though he'd been assassinated by Ruby, thank you.